Welcome to the Hillside Church Denver podcast, the home for content from Hillside Church in Denver, Colorado. Hillside exists to help people belong to Jesus people, believe in Jesus, and become like Jesus. And we hope that what you hear today does just that. Go to hillsidedenver.org for more information about this community of Jesus followers. And if you're in the Denver area, we would love to welcome you in one Sunday morning. But for now, on to the pod. Now, I told you at the beginning we're going to do a Q&A today, so there will be no scripture reading and then preaching on the message. So I thought it would be good for us to read a psalm together and just to sit in it for a moment before we go on with the service. And so you have uh, on the screen, we'll have the words of Psalm, I think, 67, 1 to 7. I might have gotten the reference wrong in your um, order. There it is. Boom. I got it right. Uh, Would you join me in reading Psalm 67 together? May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. That's our prayer, that through what God does here and through churches around the world this morning, the whole earth would come to know our good God and fear him, to respect him, to love him, to know him, to look at God in awe and wonder, not to fear him because they're afraid of condemnation, or to fear him because they're afraid of violence, or because they're afraid of judgment, but to fear God by looking upon all that God is, and being won over in awe and wonder at his power, and goodness, his might. And so that's our prayer together. Uh, and to fear God, to respect him, to stand in awe of God, because of God's gift of Sabbath. And that's what we've been talking about for the past like six, seven weeks. Um, is Sabbath. And so we came to this fifth Sunday, and uh, I want to answer your questions about Sabbath. As I said earlier, I'm not an expert. Um, I am learned and not an expert. And I'm only learned because um, I've been studying this stuff for a long while, preparing for all this stuff. And the fact is that when you're a preacher, you cannot fit everything that you learn into sermons. It just doesn't work. Um, we have, to, we have to choose what we land on and what we share. And so these Q&A times become a great time um, for some of that learning that I've been doing over the past you know, months um, to be shared with you. And uh, I'm sure that through these series, not all of your questions about things are answered. Um, and so we've been having a great time doing these Q&As for the past year or so. And uh, I hope that we have some good questions come in today. As always, though, I came prepared. So I got questions whether you got them or not. Uh, And so uh, if you have a question about the Sabbath, you can text it to 7513169. And I will do my best to answer them. I have my phone here set up. And we got some questions coming in now. Um, All right. Um... The first question is a really great one. Uh, 
first, actually, I want to go back to Exodus chapter 20 to see what Sabbath is, how God defines it, before we begin answering these questions. Um, and so here we are. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons the Sabbath is so important um, is because, look, we've got four verses here on the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. There are more words devoted to the command to Sabbath than to any other of the Ten Commandments. Um, throughout the prophets, as we've seen in our series, throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, people who speak on God's behalf, they're saying over and over again, God is judging the nation because you're not Sabbathing. You're not resting. You're not resting for yourselves, and by extension, you're forcing your workers to work, and you're oppressing them, not allowing them to have a Sabbath. And so God takes Sabbath very seriously. This is why God established Sabbath. This is why God gave us the example of Sabbath when God himself created the earth in six days and then chose to rest. The source of inexhaustible energy, the only being that does never get tired, chose to rest as an example to us. Uh, and so that's why Sabbath is so very important. Jesus reiterates the Sabbath in his own ministry, as we saw in Matthew chapter 12, uh, and we see through the Gospels where Jesus reiterates the Sabbath and tells us Sabbath was made for people. It was made for you. It was given as a gift for you. Uh, and so that's, that's where we're starting. Sabbath is, on the one hand, uh, a state of mind. It's an attitude. It's a kind of lifestyle. On the other hand, Sabbath is, as it has always been, a day. A 24-hour period where we are called to lay down our labors, to not work, and to focus our attention on rest and on our King Jesus. And so uh, this first question is, is very much in keeping with that idea, keeping with that spirit. How do you keep Sabbath when you work six days per week and on Sunday you either have so much to do or you're utterly exhausted? That's an, that's an extremely good question. And I would go even further to say, what do you do when you're a single parent who has to work constantly to provide for your children, and you don't even have that seventh day off, right? You're working seven days a week. What do you do when you live in a city that's so expensive, you have to work multiple jobs just to be able to live there? What do you do when? Um, all of us have barriers to Sabbathing. Every single person, no matter what your stage of life. But let's recognize some of us have the privilege of taking a Sabbath without worrying about our income or without worrying about the things that are going to get done. We have spouses or partners or family members or people around us to help us make ends meet. We have jobs that provide for us, that give us two full days off a week. And really, we really do get that time. Um, and so, so let's be real about the fact that, on the one hand, every single person has a barrier to Sabbath. And on the other hand, some of us have many more significant barriers to Sabbath than others. Um, so we're going we're gonna to sit there for a moment. So what do you do if you're too busy to Sabbath? 
if you literally cannot make ends meet without working all the time, or you do get to that seventh day and you're just beat. Um, there are a couple things. A couple are going to sound a little insensitive, so please hang with me for a moment. Um, on the insensitive side, what will sound insensitive is one of the reasons you're not Sabbathing is your own time management. You're poorly managing your time. And you're thinking that entertainment and escapism is rest, and it's not. Sitting down and binging a show is not rest. Sitting down and playing a video game is not rest. Right? These, these ways that we have of escaping and tricking ourselves into thinking that those are truly restful are actually not. Um, they're doing things to our minds and in our hearts that are actually causing us to continue to be tired. Um, if your means of resting is binging a drama show, you're actually stressing yourself out. If your means of resting involves escape from the world, then you're not practicing Sabbath as God has given it to you. So, and that may sound insensitive, but it's the truth. Some of us are not resting because we're actually not resting. The things we're calling rest are not actually restful. They are further stressing us out. They're not rejuvenating us as God intended us to be rejuvenated. Some of the reason that we have so much stuff piled up on that sixth day is because we're not using the time when we're at home during the week um, constructively. And so time management is part of the problem too. I'm not keeping up with the small things during the week and now on my one day off, I gotta catch up on everything I didn't do during the week. We Americans specifically have a habit of going to work for eight, 10 hours a day and coming home and just wanting to veg. And that's not how we're built. That's not how humans were made to function. Um, you may have a very stressful job and you may need a period of rest when you get home. But I think most of us think we need more inactivity than we really do. And so we're not constructively using the free time we do have on our weekdays and we're letting things pile up. And then by the time we get to that seventh day, um, we've got so much to catch up on that it exhausts us. So one of the reasons we're not able to this time management and escapism and entertainment, we're not resting the way God made us to rest, and we're not using our time constructively to make sure that we can get that rest. Um, now, you may be in a position, and many people are, where um, you know you're actually using your time well. You're managing your time. You're doing the best that you possibly can in a stressful and chaotic world and in a stressful and chaotic life, and you just cannot catch you may be in that position. Many, many people in our world are in that position. So what do you do then? This is where the community comes in. Uh, Sabbath was a command not to individuals, but to the community of God's people. Sabbath is a command to the community of God's people. Again, as Westerners, as hyper-individualists, we tend to take the commands of God in Scripture as to individuals, and they almost never are. They are almost always to a community. Um, almost every you in the New Testament is a plural you. There are almost no singular yous in the New Testament when we are given commands. And in the Old Testament, the commands are always to the assembled people of God. They're almost never to individuals. We are here to support one another in our practice of Sabbath. We are meant to be here to love one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. In the epistles, we are to bear one another's burdens so that people have the freedom to pursue Christ and to Sabbath. And so 
if you are someone who is run ragged with your life um, and you have not reached out for help, I'm not trying to put all the weight on you, but your community is here for you. And if your experience has been, look, I've tried to reach out and people won't help, then please come and chat with me. Please come talk to me. I know who to put you in touch with. We can help you. We can walk with you. We can come alongside of you and make sure that you have the time you need. If you live in a tiny apartment and you've got kids and you're working hard and every moment of your life is stressful, we will take your children for you, not take them away, okay? You'll get them back. We don't want them forever, all right? But let us take your kids. Let us send you on a date. Let us send you on a weekend away to rest and rejuvenate. Let us give you a retreat. This is where being vulnerable and being generous as a community are absolutely essential to following Christ faithfully. If we are not a vulnerable and generous community, we are not as a community following Jesus, and we're not actually helping one another follow Jesus in the way that we need to, that we've been called to as God's people. And so justice for the people of God, justice and equity within the community of God requires the entire church body to be working together, giving of our excesses and sharing our vulnerabilities so that we can make sure people who are stressed and pushed have a chance to Sabbath and to rest. And so on the one hand, for the person who's stressed out, we need to hear from you. We need to know where you are so that we can help you, not shame you. And to those of us with excess, especially some of our retirees with some more time on your hands, um, maybe it's time to walk alongside of and help one of those younger couples or single parents who's struggling to Sabbath. Maybe it's time to use some of that extra time you've got to support and uplift a parent or a struggling younger person. Um, to some of our older people who are struggling financially and you're, you're, you've got burdens on you, to some of our older people who are struggling to make ends meet or to find that time, um, it's time for the community to come around you too and to support you and to lift you up and to help you. We don't have all the money in the world. We're not going to throw money at problems, but we got people and we got time and we got resources. And as a community, we come around together. So uh, the answer to that in general is time management, prioritization, and community. Community, 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 community. You're not meant to do it on your own. You're not meant to be a sole provider. If you've bought into that American lie, you have bought into just that a lie. We are here together as a community to support one another. So, all right, that question. Any follow-up to that? Okay, great. Um, what is considered good rest on the Sabbath? Whatever rejuvenates you. Whatever actually helps you to rest and rejuvenate. So if you find yourself, after attempting the Sabbath period, more tired or as tired as when you went in, whatever you did wasn't right. Whatever you were doing was not what you should have been doing, right? Um, whatever actually brings you rest and rejuvenation and is honoring to God, right? Don't do sinful things in your Sabbath name. That kind of defeats the purpose, okay? Um, so do things you enjoy. Do things that bring life to you. If you're a puzzle person, do a puzzle, right? I'm not a puzzle person. I'm a model car person. I can sit and do a model car all day long, right? 
So whatever rejuvenates you. And stop doing whatever tires you. Literally, stop doing it. Prepare things in advance if you can so that you don't have to cook if that tires you out. For me, cooking rejuvenates. I love to cook for my family. I love to cook in general. It's restful for me. I don't mind cooking on my Sabbath. If that ain't you, don't cook on your Sabbath. Seriously. Prepare things in advance. Order out. Ask someone else to help you with that. Um, If you're married... And you are married, if you're a hyper extrovert like me, married to a hyper introvert, making sure my wife gets time for Sabbath means that I take on the burdens for her so that she can get the time she needs. Now, ask my wife, this does not work out perfectly in our marriage, okay? All right, we're, I'm, I'm trying to be a better husband this way, right? Um, but for me, being around people, it doesn't tire me out. It doesn't wear me out whatsoever. I can Sabbath with a whole crowd of people and be perfectly happy. Some of y'all is like, that's my absolute nightmare, right? Don't do that. Get alone if you can. And that's also where relying on the community comes in. If you don't have the space and time to be alone on the Sabbath like you need to be, if that's what you need, then let the community help you with those obligations that you need to be able to get away. Get alone. Be by yourself. Be with Jesus. Um, so that's, that's what's good rest on the Sabbath. Second thing is, don't ignore your spiritual life on the Sabbath, right? Everything we do as spiritual beings, and especially as Christians, is a spiritual activity. And so we want to do those things, too, that draw our attention to Jesus, that anchor us and root us in who we are in him. One of the things that Sabbath does for us is it roots us in our identity in Christ and makes us more secure people so that when we go out into the world and we're faced with struggles or difficulties, it's not attacking our identity. We are firmly rooted in Jesus. If we find that the slings and arrows of our lives are actually causing us self-doubt and causing us to bring us down and, and warring at our identity, one of the reasons is probably that we're not Sabbathing properly and we're not rooting ourselves in who we are in Jesus. We're not rooting ourselves in Christ, and so we're not secure as God intends us to be. So, um, uh, I got to turn to scripture on this one. Man, somebody's bringing in scripture references. Thank you. We need the Bible. Uh, is Sabbath rest the same as the peace that Jesus talks about in John 14 27? The answer is yes and no. Uh, I'm going to read John 14 27 right as, as soon as I can get to it. I got a new Bible and it's thicker than my other one, so I, don't, I can't just turn to things like I used to. Um, John 14 27. Jesus speaking says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Um, This peace is not Sabbath rest. Um, We could do a word study on it, and the Greek word is irene, and um, it's it's a broad piece. It's not exactly, um, well, in this case, I think it is equivalent to shalom, um, which is, you know, the Hebrew word for peace. It's a Hebrew greeting. And shalom does not mean a cessation of hostilities. It doesn't just mean everything feels good. Shalom is the world as God intended it. And when Jesus uses peace here, um, in the context of John 14, when he is uh, giving his farewell address to his disciples, Um, 
he's talking about this kind of whole piece, this holistic piece that, that anchors and grounds our souls. Sabbath contributes to this, but it is not, Sabbath rest is not peace. The peace is the result of the Sabbath rest. So Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We rest in him. We anchor in him. And the product of that is peace. Just as, according to the prophets in the Old Testament, shalom would come if the people would practice Sabbath. Shalom, the world as God intended it, the peace that God brings would come as a result of God's people practicing and living into Sabbath. And so they're related, but they're not the same thing because one leads to the other. One draws into the other. And so we will not have the peace of Christ if we are not living into the Sabbath rest that Jesus provides. Does that make sense? Follow up to that? Okay. Um, Just a comment on that fine line, legalism, between rest in and with God and things we do and maybe rationalize as rest. Um, Are you asking for a comment or are you making a comment? Um, Okay, Judy recovered. Um, let, let's do talk about that legalism thing, though. Um, this is where uh, Matthew 12 comes in. In Matthew 12, and, and I preached on this weeks ago, um, in Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and they're on their way to a little town. It's a Sabbath day, um, so they're not walking very far. I think you can imagine that they have camped outside of this town, because that's what would happen. Jesus and his disciples would come and they would camp near a place and then they would go into that place and teach. So they wouldn't go into the town and like stay at, there weren't like hotels in all these towns, right? There weren't inns at all these towns where, you know, 25 people could could come in. Because Jesus isn't just traveling with the 12 apostles. He's traveling with multiple of his disciples um, and their families in some cases, right? Their wives in some cases. And so you've got dozens of people with Jesus anywhere he goes. And so he would come, um, and they would camp outside of a town. So on the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples are walking into the town. They're going to the synagogue. They're going to go worship and hear the word. And on the way in, they grab some heads of grain. And the disciples grab the heads of grain, and they're kind of milling them in their hand, and then they pop the grain, and they eat the grain to satiate their hunger. And some of the religious leaders of the town come and they see Jesus and his disciples doing this. And they go, oh, you're breaking the Sabbath. <laughs> and Jesus says, wait a minute, hold up. Like, that's, that's not right. Um, you, 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 the Sabbath was made for, for people, not people for the Sabbath. And so it is right to do what is good for your body on the Sabbath. It is right to do good on the Sabbath. Um, and that's where he says, the, uh, well, he says in just a minute that the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so... In this place, the religious leaders had come out and they were legalistic about the Sabbath, meaning they had taken laws about the Sabbath and made them and bound them up and put them as a burden on people's backs and said, this is what it means to observe Sabbath. And if you don't do it just this way, you're not really observing Sabbath. That's legalism. And if we ever get into the place where we tie up burdens on ourselves and make all these laws and rules about how to practice Sabbath, and if we transgress those lines or rules or we step out of them, then we've stepped out of the spirit of Sabbath. If Sabbath is about rest and rooting ourselves in Jesus, rooting ourselves in God the Father, 
uh, then when we create rules and boundaries that restrict us or burdens on our backs, we're actually making the Sabbath a burden and we're defeating the purpose of it. We're not getting rest. And so we can't make the Sabbath a legalistic thing. Now let me say, let me say one thing about this, right? As though someone was saying, stop, Brandon. Um, there's a difference between laws and boundaries. Each one of us needs boundaries in order to live a healthy life. And each one of us, we know ourselves. I hope you know yourself. Um, but each one of us should know ourselves in such a way as to be able to put healthy boundaries around the Sabbath for us. Around the Sabbath, I know there are things I just, I can't do, right? Maybe for me, on the Sabbath, I cannot pick up my phone. And so I have to set a healthy boundary around that because my phone will stress me out. Or if I pick up my phone, I will be tempted to check my work email and I shouldn't be doing that. And so I need to set a healthy boundary for me around my phone. Now, does that mean if I get an emergency phone call and I pick it up, I have broken the law and I've broken Sabbath? No. That's the difference between a boundary and a law. A boundary is something that's created with us in mind and how we were made to help us better practice. A law is something that if we break it, then we have broken the Sabbath. And it's of no use to us. It's no good to us anymore. And a, a, so a law will actually affect our, our identity. It'll affect our bottom line. When we break a law, it will make us feel like failures. When we transgress a boundary, we know that there's, there's reasons for that there and there's grace and I'm still rooted in Jesus. And so we all need healthy boundaries to help us. But the moment a boundary moves from being helpful to becoming a law that we cannot transgress, we've got to, we've got to reevaluate. We've got to go back and say, is, that, is this healthy anymore? Is this serving its purpose or its help? And what Jesus was saying about these laws about the Sabbath in Matthew 12 is that they've, they've lost their purpose. They were created to help people. They were created as boundaries to help people practice the Sabbath. But then when the religious leadership turned them into laws and made the burdens on people, then they defeated the purpose of the Sabbath. And so what were boundaries became laws. We're really good at that as people. We're really good at turning boundaries into laws for ourselves. And then what inevitably happens is that the boundaries we set for ourselves and then made laws for ourselves, we start imposing on other people and saying, if you don't do this or if you do this, then you've broken the law. And it's not coming out of scripture and it's not a healthy boundary. It's just a law that we've created and now is oppressing both us and other people. That's just human nature. It's how we operate. Um, follow up on that? Well, thank you, Dave. I think I've, I've reached the end of my texted questions. This is not normal. Harry, do you have a question? So yes, is the answer. So here's Harry's question if you didn't hear. Huh? Golf is an example. Yeah. You, we all know. So um, Harry's question was, is rest physical or mental or, spirit, or spiritual? I'm just going to add that component in there. But is rest 
if I do something that tires me physically, have I not Sabbathed? Is, is basically what you're asking. Hello. Um, the answer is, we all know there's good physical tired and there's exhausted physical. There's, there's worn out physical tired, right? Um, uh, we, uh, we were, a number of us were training for the Colfax Marathon earlier this year. Some of us have tried to continue running. Um, at the end of those runs, I'm tired, I'm beat, um, but it's a good kind of tired. I know that my body has, I've sweated things out. It's a cathartic kind of tired. Um, if you're a person who works out, you know at the end of your workouts, um, you've got a, a good kind of tired. There's a good kind of soreness. Um, it's not that I've been pushing my body so hard it's ready to give out. It's that I've, I've worked myself and my body is responding to that. Um, there's a good kind of workout and tired that can put you in a mental and physical space where rest is easier for you. Um, so no, I, Sabbath is about physical rest and it is about mental rest as well. Um, but we all know that there's a good kind of physical tired and a, and a bad kind of physical tired for ourselves. Um, and I think if you know yourself well enough, you know the limits on that. Now, there are some people who, like, rest really does mean inactivity for the day. Like, I'm not going to do anything, and that's great. There are some of us who, like, that would drive us nuts, right? I could not, I can't do a day of rest where I'm literally just sitting on a couch or laying in bed or, or just whatever. I, I can't veg. That's not me. Um, I need to be active. And there are some people who can veg all day, and that's how you Sabbath. That's great. That's good. Whatever brings your body rejuvenation, whatever brings you true and lasting rest. But, um, but yeah, I think that's part of the boundaries, the question for each person. Um, does that make sense? Any follow-up on those? What? I did add spiritual. Yeah, 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 there's the spirit. So for instance, a spiritual boundary for me, I'm not counseling anybody on my Sabbath. Unless it's an absolute emergency situation that someone needs me, um, I will not do any counseling because counseling exhausts me spiritually, right? It just wears me out. Um, I am gonna, to the extent that I can and that it is healthy for our community, I'm not listening to anybody's needs on Sabbath. Um, I can do that for six days. I'm not going to carry someone else's need on my Sabbath. Um, that is the day for me to rest. This is not about self-centeredness. It's about healing so that I can be there for other people. It's about healing so that I can carry those burdens the rest of the week. Because I, so that I can um, work the rest of the week. It's about rejuvenation. I heard a story um, about a wagon train going to Oregon. Um, I don't know when. I don't know the details of this story. Um, but there was, there was a wagon train uh, heading to Oregon, let's say late 19th century, right? Um, and as the seasons go by, winter is coming. And so you, the, the team breaks up into two groups. One group that wants to continue their weekly Sabbath. The, train, the wagon train had been... 
uh, practicing a weekly Sabbath, one day a week, they would stop and they would rest and they would not travel at all. As winter starts to come on, there's a disagreement in the group. Some of them say, we have to continue our Sabbath. The other group says, no, 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 we have to push on, we have to press forward because we don't want to lose any time. And the group that got to Oregon first is the one that Sabbathed. Because that one day of rest meant that they were more efficient in the work that they did and in the travel that they did than they were than the other group that pushed themselves and pushed themselves. They weren't able to go as far or as long because they weren't resting. This is the wisdom of Sabbath. We see a goal, we as people, we see a goal in front of us and we trick ourselves into believing that if I stop, I won't reach that goal in time. Where God has created us to work better and to work more efficiently when we are well rested. And so he built in a system and a means of rest for us so that we can actually do what he's calling us to without exhausting ourselves. Sabbath is a gift. Yes, ma'am, I am turning there now. Um, this one's fresh because I preached on this like last week. Um, Hebrews 4, 9 through 12. Let me read that for us. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. That same pattern of disobedience is a reference back to the wandering in the wilderness in the Exodus. So back in Exodus, the people of God had been freed from, Israel, from Egypt, and they were wandering. They were trying to get to the promised land. Um, and because of disobedience and grumbling, God had said, you're not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. I'm never going to let these people enter. Because their hearts are so ungrateful that even in the promised land, they wouldn't be satisfied. Right? That's, that's the reason God says these grumblers can't enter the promised land. It's not just like, it's not just God is, is frustrated with them and so makes a rash decision. It's because their hearts are so tainted with ingratitude that even the choicest fruits of the promised land would not satisfy them. And so, oh, and 12, yes. For, I'm getting there. I'll get there. Yes, ma'am. I promise. I'm setting, up, I'm setting up the context here. Right. So the same disobedience is the grumbling in the wilderness that caused the people of God not to be able to enter the promised land. So you've got to know something about Exodus to understand this. And so uh, what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is, let us make every effort to enter Jesus' rest so that no one will fall into the pattern of disobedience of ingratitude and of grumbling, into the pattern of disobedience of the wanderers in the wilderness who weren't allowed to enter the promised land. And so... He's calling us to look to Christ as our rest from our works. And then he goes on in verse 12, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's where that comes in. 
it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why he sets up that verse with the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What he's getting at here is regardless of your outward activities, God knows what's in your heart. He knows your intents. And so even if you are going through the motions, the religious motions, even if you're going through the right rituals and the things that God has called, God sees your heart and intention. He is echoing here what the prophets of God have been saying all through the prophets of the Old Testament, which is, you guys keep doing all this religious stuff, but God knows your hearts. You keep doing all that you're making the sacrifices and you're doing the religious rituals and things, but you're doing it with messed up hearts. You're doing it for your own purposes. You're doing it for your own, uh, you're, do, you're, you're doing it to make sure that you're okay with God. And then you go and impress people, go and impress people. You go and impress your workers. You go and you don't, you don't do the Sabbath. You don't uh, leave the grain to the edge of your field. You, you harvest all of your field. And so you're not providing for each other. And so God's saying, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, just like the prophets of God were saying in the Old Testament, um, God knows. You can't fool God with your outward actions. You can't fool God with your religious activities. You can't fool God with your rituals. He knows your heart. And he's going to judge according to the heart, not according to the stuff you're doing with your hands. Now, the stuff what you're doing with your hands matters. It matters a lot. But it matters that it comes from a heart devoted to Jesus, to, devoted to God. It comes from a heart of gratitude and a place of trust in God. And that's what this whole passage is about. Trust in God, not in ourselves. And that's what Sabbath does. When I lay down my work on the Sabbath, I'm saying I trust that will get done whether I do it right now or not. I trust in the God who provides more than I trust in my hands to provide. I'm not the sole breadwinner here. God is the provider. And so that's what this is about. The rest that he's talking about here is the rest of Jesus, the rest that Jesus gives when we choose to trust him and not in our own hands and in our own work, and especially not in our own religious rituals. And that seems like a good place to end. At the end of the day, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody came through with a good question, and then I'll, and then I'll wrap it up. Um, someone asked, uh, earlier I mentioned uh, vegging, <laughs> and I said vegging isn't really rest, and then later I said um, that uh, if vegging is the way you rejuvenate, that's cool. Um, and, and so, yes and right. You're right, thanks for calling me on that inconsistency. Uh, this is tricky because I said, what constitutes rest for you? What is rejuvenating for you? And a lot of us veg, but it's not actually rejuvenating. And so the question is not what specific activity I'm not doing. The question is, what am, am I being rejuvenated through the activities that I'm doing or not doing? And then finally, how do we rest in God during seasons of suffering or during seasons of anger at God? Um, and we'll, we're going to wrap up on this one because I think it's a good segue. Um, how do we rest during seasons of anger at God um, and during seasons of suffering? Uh, let me say this. Read the Psalms first. If you've never read the Psalms, you've got to read the Psalms. Um, if you're dealing with anger at God, if you're dealing with, with suffering right now, um, 
the Psalms give us a permission to be real with God in a way that a lot of evangelical Christians are afraid to be. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. God can handle the full scope of your emotions. God can handle the full scope of your experience. There's nothing that God doesn't already know. Just as we said, the word of God is sharper than an two-edged sword and cuts through to the intentions of the heart. God knows your heart already. There's nothing you're hiding from him. There's nothing that's going on in here that God doesn't already see. And God is not offended by it. God is big enough to handle it. He can handle all your anger. He can handle all your rage. He can handle all your pain. There's nothing going on in your life that God is not already privy to and already have in mind. God loves you and can handle everything. And when you go read the Psalms through what some of the psalmists were suffering and the way they were struggling, and even through their anger at God, you find in the Psalms a permission to be real with God in a way that makes some of us uncomfortable. So if you're someone who's been uncomfortable being honest and real with God, I want to encourage you to try. I want to encourage you in your prayer life to just just try. Be very real with God. Be very honest with God. And see what happens. If you need help with this, come see me. I will, we'll, do, we'll do some counseling sessions. And I will sit there with you while you rail at God in your anger if you need to. And I will be the priest who says, Jesus still loves you. God still loves you. He is not rejecting you for your anger. He would rather have you express it with him than hold it in and let it tear you to pieces. God can handle your anger. And the healing from that will only come when it is expressed. As long as we bottle it up and we let it tear us up inside, it will continue to draw us further away from God. And the truth that we are loved and embraced by God through Jesus Christ and our sin has truly forever been forgiven will only come to bear on our lives when we let out all that stuff that we've been holding in. That's why we're called to confess to each other. That's why we're called to confess verbally our sin and our feelings about God. So if you're angry with God, let it out. You won't rest as long as you're holding it in. Let it out. And let someone speak the truth of God over you that you are still loved, even when you're mad at God. When you're suffering, it's kind of the same deal. It's hard. Let me say this. It is hard sometimes to trust that God is there and to rest when we are suffering. Suffering is the worst incursion upon our rest. It can take us down. That's another reason God has given us the community to share our suffering. To let it out. Let it be known. Let the community come around you. Sit with someone who can understand your suffering and help you walk through it. It's not going to heal it. It's not going to make it all right. But you're going to be able to carry it better with a community of people than you will by yourself. God gave you a family. He gave you his people. He gave you his Holy Spirit, not so that you could rely individually upon the Spirit and never share with the community, but through the power of the Spirit, the whole community could bear your burdens. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for, to draw us together as the body of Christ, empower us to carry one another's burdens and to walk on. At the end of the day, Sabbath is the gift that draws us into Jesus, anchors and roots our identity in him and our trust in him, and allows us, empowers us to live lives fully devoted to Jesus. 
where we can truly give up our anxieties and our works and we can rest in Him, where we can be truly honest with everything going on in our lives with our good God and know that we are not rejected. The God who gave us the gift of Sabbath will not take away His gifts because of how we feel or because of the momentary afflictions of our lives. He will carry us through. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, I can worship God, and that these light and momentary afflictions are nothing in the light of who I am in Jesus, of the glory that is ours through the cross and resurrection of our King Jesus. When Paul said light and momentary afflictions, he was in prison. When Paul called the struggles of this life light and momentary afflictions, he was being actively oppressed by the Roman government. When Paul called the struggles of life life and momentary afflictions, he was in the midst of struggles most of us couldn't imagine. And he could look to Jesus and say, even this is only a light and momentary affliction in light of the glory of Jesus and the goodness of our God. Rest is coming and rest is here in Jesus Christ. And if you have never experienced the rest of God, then today is the day to open your heart to what God is saying, to hear the word of God, that he loves you and he has pursued you when you were far from him and there is nothing in Jesus that you could do to tear yourself away from your good God who has given you the gift of Sabbath rest who has taken your sin upon the cross and allowed it to crucify him and who rose to conquer death and give you life and eternal rest. If you've never experienced the rest of Jesus, then today is the day to experience it, to know the goodness of our God. And so I invite you to continue to walk with and explore this notion of rest. I invite you to continue to press into the rest of God that is ours in Jesus. Um, and I invite you, if you're struggling right now and you don't see a path toward rest, please reach out. Mindy and I are here, your pastors are here to love you and to care for you and to bear your burdens with you. And this community is here for that too. And so please be vulnerable. Please open your life to us and we will help you walk through the struggles of life. Um, we're not going to sing our final song because... Uh, this has gone on long enough. Um, I'm going to invite you instead uh, to rise and let me pray over you. We're going to sing the doxology together. The words won't be on the screen, um, but uh, if you know it, you can sing, and then we'll be dismissed for today. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath rest. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the freedom to lay down our works and to know that we are secure in the work that you have done, that you have done all the work for us, that you lived the life we couldn't live, you died the death we deserved to die, and you raised again to secure us eternal life and resurrection in the here and now and in forever. And so God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus, you are sufficient for us. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you, Lord, that you give us permission to be real with you, and to continue to speak over us the grace of Jesus, to bring us to places of healing, to bring us to places of empowerment so that we can live lives reflective of who Jesus is. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us. 
And I pray, Lord, as we pursue your Sabbath, we would become ever more restful, ever more reliant upon your works, and ever more trusting of our God so that we can truly lay down the burdens of our lives and know that they are handled, not to escape, but to hand into your hands all the things that we cannot fix and change. In the name of Jesus, amen.